0: Welcome to the Greater Philly Church Podcast, where you'll learn to connect to Jesus and others through great teaching, inspirational stories, and relevant content. I'm Matt Manny, the pastor of Greater Philly Church, and my goal is to help you understand yourself, your relationships, and life in light of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Thanks so much for listening. See, how many of you have cravings for things? Anybody cravings? Like, cho- anybody chocolate out there? Chocolate lovers? Ice cream lovers? Anybody? Coffee lovers? Any, any coffee? Movies? Anybody? Any movie lovers? Some of you just have no cravings whatsoever. You are dead to anything. When you think about the cravings that you have, as you see the one appetite that you cannot satisfy. One appetite you cannot satisfy. There's one appetite and craving that will never be satisfied, will never have enough, it'll never be totally suppressed, and that is the craving for our pride, the pride that we have. You think about pride, and sometimes we think about pride as that of being boastful, but pride is that sense that we can become easily embarrassed, or that's that feeling that you have when the, the hair stands up on the back of your neck, and you can actually feel your face getting red. How many of you have ever experienced that, where you feel your face getting flushed many years, many, many years ago? Malachi was the only, only child at the time, he was living large, he was probably one or two at the time. And I can remember coming home one day to our complex, we were living up uh, town, about an hour north of here, called Collegeville, and Amanda grabbed her stuff, she went inside to the townhouse that we were renting at the time, and so I'm getting Malachi out, and we see a neighbor, and, and the, where we live, we really didn't engage with our neighbors much at, at all. Down here, uh, since we moved to Delaware County, we know our neighbors, we interact with them a lot. But this lady came along, and so she was walking her dog, never met her before. She's walking down the sidewalk, and so she's right in our, in our, in our path. And so here's this little doggy, and Malachi starts, you know, kind of pulling next to me. And he's kind of stuck because he wants to see the dog, but he's still young. And I think he was, at this point, he was kind uh, of you know, aware of things, obviously. And so I uh, had him with me and bent down and kind of kneeled down to, to pet the dog. And right as I began to kneel down, I felt a, a tear in my pants, right in the, the most embarrassing spot in your, my crotch area. And so I'm down on the ground, and I'm kneeling, and I'm not going to kneel now. I won't reenact it, because who knows? It'll relive the embarrassment. But I can remember kneeling down, and it happening, and I'm stuck, and I heard the sound, and I'm thinking, did she hear the sound too? So I'm kind of trying to cover it up like with a cough, like, Ugh! <coughs> Ugh, you know? And then I'm racking my brain, how do, I, how do I get out of this and how bad is this? And all of a sudden I can feel a draft. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this is pretty bad. So I've got Malachi on, on a hip, I'm kneeling there petting the dog, trying to, trying to converse with one side of my brain and trying to figure out how I'm gonna get out of this and I thought, there's, there's no way out of this situation, like what do you do? So I just stood up and there's everything just floating in the breeze, totally embarrassed. And it was okay because my neighbor realized what was going on and she shut the conversation down real quick. And she said, okay, well, nice to meet you. And then she took off. How many of you have ever had a situation happen where it's so embarrassing you wanted to just get out of it as soon as possible? Anybody? A handful of people. Honest people this morning. But our pride. We don't like being made fun of. We don't like look looking foolish. You've got your expertise, the job that you do. And if you've ever had somebody tell you or confront you maybe about your job or about what you're trying to do, it can be pretty frustrating because they're saying you should be doing it one way and you say, no, but this is, this is how I do it, and especially if it's somebody who doesn't do what you do. And so when they try to tell you, no, you're wrong, and all of a sudden you say, but no, I know I'm right. All of a sudden in the back of our mind that, 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 uh, that feeling of anger, that feeling of frustration begins to rise and our pride begins to get hurt. And that sense of digging our heels in and becoming stubborn begins to settle in. As we look this morning, you can see there in your notes, there's a relationship, and you think about the opposite of pride is what? It's humility. There's a relationship between pride and humility. And as you look in your notes there, with the understanding of pride, we don't like looking foolish. We like looking put together. We like looking and being attractive and being competent. We like having... Uh, The sense that we are in control. The problem is, with this desire for us to look like we know what we're talking about, pride is what we find appealing for us. That I have some self-pride, self-confidence, but it's what others find appalling in us. And what's amazing is this, on the flip side, and you can fill in your notes there, pride is what we find appealing. If we get, really get down to it, if we're really honest with ourselves, we don't like looking foolish. And so we like have, having a sense of pride, if you've heard that terminology before. But the second thing there is this, is that humility is what we find appalling, but others find in us appealing. When you have somebody who is being prideful and you see it in their life, you think, man, why can't they see it? Why can't they see that they're wrong?" and that they've messed up and why can't they take responsibility? Maybe you've seen this in a coworker or an employer or in a relationship you've had at some point. And, and what we find is this, when you've seen somebody on a rare occasion where they say, you know what, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And we say, man, they finally see it, they get it. But if you've been on this on the side of where they say, well, you're wrong and I'm right and you don't see it, and they're being prideful, it's so frustrating. But what we find is this, is when we see humility in another person. When you see somebody say, you know what, I was wrong. I'm sorry, please forgive me. Or somebody that's being self-aware and says, yes, this is a limitation in my life or a struggle that I have. We say, okay, I can work with that now. I can connect with that. What's amazing is this, is as we go through this series, in Matthew chapter 5, you can take your Bibles and turn there as we get ready to jump into this passage of Scripture this morning. What's so amazing is this is the Sermon on the Mount, and this is not just a once-and-done sermon that Jesus preached, but he preached it multiple times because in his day and age, Jesus was, was attempting and looking to teach the people something that was totally different from what the people had understood and been taught by the religious leaders the Pharisees of those days. The Pharisees were very big on things like conduct and what you do and how you should act. In the Old Testament, there was the Torah, that is the five books of the law. And in the Torah, there were 613 laws, 613 rules that the Jews had to keep. And so can you imagine that you had an employee manual that had 613 policies that you'd have to follow? Well, for the Pharisees, when they came along, and in Jesus' time there in Matthew chapter 5, the Pharisees, they decided to put a fence around the 613 laws and kind of back themselves up and say, okay, we're going to not even bother with the 613 laws. We're going to make extra rules and extra laws so that we don't even uh, have to even worry about crossing those lines. So, for instance, you take the Sabbath. God said that they were supposed to rest on the Sabbath and not to work on the Sabbath. And so for the Pharisees, they decided to take it one step further, and what they did was they said, okay, we're going to go ahead and make categories of different kinds of things you can do and what you cannot do. They even got to the point where they decided how many steps you could take on the Sabbath day. They even decided how many words you could write on the Sabbath day. And so once you hit your quota for your steps or your words, you were done, you know, could you imagine like, hey, why are they stuck standing still? They hit their quota for the day, and they don't want to break the Pharisees' rules and laws. But Jesus in in Matthew chapter 5, he's not so much concerned about conduct as he is about our character. And saying, you're going to face all kinds of different situations. But if we're so concerned about conduct as opposed to our character, we're going to miss what it means to find happiness and satisfaction in life. All throughout the Beatitudes as they are called here in Matthew chapter 5, We find, and I'll read down through this whole passage here, as we find Jesus takes each one and talks about this amazing development of not just conduct, but character within us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you for my sake. And so each week we're going to look at a different blessed and then this different concepts that we're going to work through. The word blessed means to be happy or to be satisfied, to be favored. And so we find in this first, this first blessed uh, uh, formula, we find, is he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We'll go ahead and uh, look at this as we come through. JJ, if you can pull this up. This statement we're going to find is this. When it comes to finding humility, the path to dependence on God is paved with humility. And what we find is we're going to look at this principle from the Beatitudes and connect it with the parable that Jesus tells. But he says here, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we're not talking about somebody who has a poor spirit, like a poor attitude. We're not talking necessarily about people that don't have a lot of money. But the idea here is this, is those who have a humble attitude, those who realize who they are before God, and they have this sense that they have to depend upon God. And the parable we're going to jump into in just a minute, we're going to find this, that it's either a dependence on self or dependence on God. It's a dependence on what I do or a dependence on what God has done. It's a difference between conduct and character. You may have uh, seen this in your life, and like I said before, what, what we find so appalling on other people, they really love. And that's, that's their pride. But what we love in other people and they really don't like is that sense of Humility, when somebody says, you know what, I was wrong, or please forgive me. What we find is this, is you can have incredible competence, you can have the perfect conduct, you can do just right, but if you don't have character to do what is right by God, you're going to fall short every time. And being satisfied and being happy in life is never going to be enough, because our pride is always going to get in the way. This path to dependence on God is paved by humility. And we'll go ahead and put the verse up there, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, and we'll see this. As we look, blessed or happy are those who are poor in spirit. That is those who are humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this idea, some scholars have said, well, this is all about salvation. So if you have a a humble spirit, if you take a vow of poverty, that'll get you into heaven. But we know from the Bible that Jesus says that you can't do anything to earn righteousness. You can't do anything or say anything to get your way into heaven. You can't work your way into heaven. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. So what do we find here then? What is this that for theirs is the kingdom of heaven? The word there is the idea of ownership. And the, the word there is what do they own? or What do they have a stake in? What do they possess? Well, they possess the kingdom of heaven. If you remember our series back uh, almost a year ago, that series about heaven and understanding in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. Well, We understand the things we do in this life, if you're a Christian today and you're guaranteed going to heaven, that Jesus is preparing great things for you and I. And there is a reflection of what we do in this life for what will happen in eternity. The Bible says in Matthew that every word and everything we say and everything we do is written down and recorded and that we will receive rewards in heaven when we die or when Jesus raptures us there. So our, our character that we have here on earth And how we handle our dependence on either ourselves or on God is going to be reflected. You say, what does that mean? Do I get an upgraded bathroom? I don't know. Jesus is working on it. But I believe from Scripture, based on what Jesus has said, that what we do in this life doesn't, doesn't procure, doesn't get us our salvation, but it will be reflected in the responsibilities, the jobs, the positions we hold in heaven one day. What we find is this. From this concept of having a humble spirit, Jesus tells a parable in Luke chapter 18. You can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles or look there in your notes. And this parable that Jesus tells, a parable is a story. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's kind of like a window that you can look through to to see to the other side, to see something more clearly. And as we look, we'll find this in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Jesus talks about this struggle between pride and humility. And the outcome of a prideful heart and the outcome of a humble heart. As you look there, you see in your Bibles or in your notes, Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Jesus describes who this parable is for. Jesus in Luke chapter 18, he's talking to a group of people. But there's some people in the crowd that were a little bit high-minded. They're a little stuck on themselves. They're a little prideful. So Luke chapter 18, we'll go ahead and pull up the verse there. And we'll find this. The story of pride and humility sounds a little bit like Aesop's Fables. Verse 9, it says, Jesus spake this parable, this story, unto certain who trusted in themselves. That they were righteous and despised others. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, Jeremiah writes these words, and he says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories, glories in this, that he understands and knows God. And so we find in life, it really is boiled down to those, those really those three areas, we, we get excited and we get stuck on what we know. We get stuck on our intellect and our competency. We get stuck on our, our image and how people see us. And a lot of people work so hard to make themselves look good because uh, first impressions are everything, right? And so we don't want to look foolish or like a slob or look like we're not put together. And then some people, the third area is they put their, their trust and dependence in finances and money. If they can buy their way out of situations, they can buy their way to happiness But we find from Jeremiah, and we see here, Jesus condemns it as well. Those who put their trust in themselves and despise other people because of it, Jesus says their conduct totally betrays the kind of character that God wants us to have. And there is not going to be happiness there. So he's going to tell the story to really help people who trust in themselves, who are self-righteous according to themselves, and their attitude towards other people is that they look down on them, they despise them. In verse 10 then, he rolls out the story. He describes for us, he says, two men went up to the temple to pray. The temple in Jerusalem is up on a mountain, so uh, up on a high hill. And to get into this temple, they actually according to Jewish rules and Jewish law, they had an outer court where people could come who were Gentile. People could come and they could see things. And they had a court then that was just for women. And then they had a court just for men that men could come into that were Jewish. And so they had all these stages and steps to come through. And Paul talks about this when Jesus Christ died, that there was a wall that had separated us from God and that middle wall was torn down by Jesus so that anyone can come to Christ. But we find back in Jesus' parable, he says this, that these two came up to the temple to pray. That is, they came to worship. The one was a Pharisee and the other one was a publican. To this crowd... In our day and age, we, we look at these terms, Pharisee and publican, and we can kind of be, be a little bit desensitized or disconnected. If you've grown up in church, uh, you know these terminologies uh, probably fairly well. But back in their day, Pharisee was somebody who was highly respected and highly favored. People wanted to be a Pharisee. If you say you're a Pharisee today, it has a very negative connotation. It means you're a hypocrite, you're self-righteous. But back in those days, these people were experts in the rules and the laws of God. And so everybody wanted to be a Pharisee. Everybody wanted to have that uh, label and have that that respect and that position because what it meant was they obeyed God and they loved God and they were right with God. And so they would be favored uh, spiritually, they would be favored physically, uh, economically, socially. They have the first place and they would be respected and looked up to. On the other hand, there was the publican. A publican is basically uh, terminology for a tax collector. Now, These two people, ethnically, they're both Jewish. But before God, the Pharisees were favored and the publicans were totally despised because publicans, tax collectors, were people who sold out to the Roman Empire. The Romans, when they would come in, especially the Palestinian area, they would set up their rule and they would have taxation take place. And so they would uh, place... Uh, people that were Jewish amongst their their compatriots, their countrymen, and they would charge them a certain tax. Now the Roman government had a rule that you had to pay a certain tax to the Romans, but the tax collectors, they could charge on top of that for their services anything they wanted to. So you had some tax collectors who were reasonable, but most tax collectors, according to historians, Roman historians, were very, very ruthless. Think about the story of Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. And he was a shorter kind of guy, so maybe he had a small man mentality. But if you remember, he couldn't see Jesus, so he climbed up in a tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed away, he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down here. Remember that, that Sunday school story? And if you know the story, what happens, Zacchaeus says, Jesus, come and sit in my house with me. You think about, in our, in our society today, people that don't think like you, people that aren't like you, this is however you feel about them and about their ideologies, this is how the Jews felt about publicans. If you have a certain political persuasion, these would be the people on the other side of the aisle. If you have a certain group of people you feel comfortable, these would be the people that are totally the opposite of you, uh, economically, ethnicity-wise, people that are totally different than you. And if you have a sense that they're wrong, this is how the Jews felt toward the tax collectors. Matthew was a tax collector as well. And what's amazing is this, of the 12 disciples that Jesus had, he had a zealot who was pro-Israel, he was pro-Jewish, and he was trying to fight against the Roman government. And then right next to him was a tax collector who kind of favored the Roman government because he was getting a paycheck from them. So you have these two totally different personalities, both coming to worship, and their common ground is this, that they're Jewish and they worship God and they respect God, so they're coming to God. In verse 11, we find then the Pharisee stood. And so we're going to do this cameo of the Pharisee and see what his interaction with. And look at these words. I've kind of highlighted them there for you on the screen. He prayed thus with who? Himself. His focus and his prayer was more about who? It was about kind of himself. It wasn't focused on God. And then we hear his prayer God, I thank you. That's good. He's being grateful. What am I thankful for? That I'm not as other people are. I've kind of got a leg up. I've got a different situation in life. That's okay. Well, we'll take that. Because these other people are extortioners. They're unjust. They're adulterers. Or even as this who? Tax collector. This publican. Now he starts making it personal. And all of a sudden, Jesus has kind of taking the veil off. And the people are going, wait a minute here. The Pharisees are well-liked. And Jesus, you're kind of making this guy to be, out to be a bad guy. If you think about tax collectors, they would extort people. They would charge them more than was reasonable. They were unjust in their dealings. Zacchaeus, if you remember the story, he paid back, I believe it was seven, seven times what he had charged people because he was, he was so ruthless in his dealings. People who were adulterers, people would say, hey, if you come and sleep with me and we'll just not tell anybody, I'll go ahead and give you a tax break. Could you imagine that? Our government would be so corrupt. Or even as who? Even as this guy. And all of a sudden, we find the Pharisee begins to compare himself. The truth is, ladies and gentlemen, no matter where you are in life, you're always going to be able to find somebody who's worse off than you are. And you're always going to find somebody who's better off than you are. You look in the mirror and you say, man, I look pretty good. Well, there's somebody better looking than you. When you compare and you say, I don't look as bad as they do. They are ugly. You know, They fell out of the family tree and hit every ugly stick on the way down. You look at people with their finances and you say, "Man, look how bad off they are." You think about finances for people, and think about situations for people. And you think about uh, uh, circumstances. Everything is scalable. You look at your finances, and you say, "Man, I'm, I'm really struggling with my finances. I just heard this last week about Mark Zuckerberg lost 20 percent. You say, "But he, he's making millions of dollars, you know? Yeah, but his millions of dollars, it's scalable for him, with his lifestyle or whatever he's doing. It could be really a crunch on him. he saying, but he's fine because he's making millions. Well, we find this, the comparison and himself, his focus on himself. We find he goes on then to say, and this is where he really kicks in and says, look at my conduct. This is what I'm not doing, but here's what I am doing. In Verse 12, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. According to Jewish law, the 613 laws, the only reason for people to fast was for about four times a year, and the fasting always had to do with special festivals or remembrances and tradition that God had said, don't forget about these different incidences like the Passover, getting out of, the, uh, getting out of Egypt, and other different uh, festivals that God wanted people to observe, and so fasting was a part of that. But this guy said, I'm not going to just fast for those festivals, I'm going to fast twice a week. That's over 100 times a year I'm going to go without food to show how committed I am to God. So he has these secret rules and these regulations, and he says, I give tithes of all that I possess. And for these rules and these secret laws that he had, we all kind of have this, though. We all kind of have these things, we all go to church, we live life, but when we begin to compare ourselves with other people, well, I don't have cable television, or I don't spend money on unnecessary food, or I don't do this, or I don't do that, I don't treat my kids this way, or I don't allow this to happen in my life, or I don't act this way, and all of a sudden we start setting up these rules and these secret things that God never put in Scripture, but we use these to make ourselves feel better and then compare ourselves among ourselves. Paul says it's not wise, and so all of a sudden we begin to look down on people because we have a low sense of our own security, of of an insecurity we have that we don't know our identity, which is in Jesus Christ. And so we begin to put our identity on our conduct, on what we do. And we'd say, I would never do that. I would never wear that. I would never walk out of the house looking that way. And all of a sudden we find ourselves, we're living according to laws and rules that God never, ever set up. You ever wonder sometimes why people struggle with church and why people struggle with Christians It's because of this issue that we make these secret rules and secret laws and secret uh, points that people say, "I, I can't connect with that. Why do you do that? It doesn't make sense. And it's simply because we're trying to make ourselves feel better at the expense of God's reputation and pushing people away. We find that he transitions from the Pharisee. He now goes to the publican, to the tax collector. The publican, in his position, look where he's at. He's standing afar off. And look what it says there, he would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, his chest, and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Total contrast. Think about the number of words, all that the Pharisee had said, and it was all about praying within himself. He wasn't really praying to God, he would just like to hear himself talk. And he says, thank you that I'm not like this other person, thank you that I'm better off than they are, and we find The publican, the tax collector, he has a very honest view of himself and knows that he's messed up because he knows he's an extortioner. He knows that he's an adulterer. He knows that he's unjust. And he knows who he is. And he knows his conduct betrays him. But deep within, he has enough character and self-awareness and honesty to say, God, be merciful. You can compare the two prayers. One prayer doesn't ask God for anything. It simply tells God everything. The other prayer says, God, please give to me, grant me your mercy. Why? Because I need it. And all of a sudden we find these two contrasting people. Well, who comes away justified? Who comes away with the right standing from God? We'll go on then to verse 14. We find this as we wrap it up. He says, I tell you, this man, speaking of the tax collector, he went down to his house justified. That is to be right with God, to be connected with God rather than the other who was the Pharisee. Why? He says here, the whole point of all this, why is this a big deal to God? Everyone that exalts himself will be abased. And Proverbs says that if you roll a stone, be careful because it will roll back on you. If you dig a pit, you're liable to fall into it. Before honor comes what? Humility. And Jesus goes on to say, "...and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted." Now look at this this comparison. You have a choice. You can either exalt yourself, lift yourself up, and pride yourself, uh, and be tops, promote yourself, self-promotion, or you can be willing to say, God, this is where I am, this is who I am, this is where I'm struggling, this is where I'm at, and to find yourself being humble. As you look here in your notes, we find these uh, principles from this passage of Scripture. Humility gets us out of What pride has got us into. If you're in a situation right now and you've got a conflict in a relationship, we'll go ahead and put that statement up here, J.J. Humility gets us out of what pride has gotten us into. And what we find is this. Our pride is what can bring us down so quickly. You think about politicians and celebrities and CEOs and famous people who have risen to the top. They have incredible expertise, but what brings them down is an incredible pride, is that I'm not wrong, I'm not going to humble myself, and yet humility is the only way we can get out of what pride has gotten us into. If you really struggle with saying, I was wrong, or I'm sorry, you've got a problem with pride. If you have a problem hearing other people loud and letting other people talk, you've got a problem with pride. But as we find then, the next point is this. As you see there, humility, and this is our big idea for today, humility chooses what is right according to God, and pride chooses what feels right according to us. For the Pharisee, what felt right was, hey, I fast twice a week. I think that's good. I think that's right. That feels right to me. It makes me feel good about myself, how I dress and what I do. But humility says, well, I'm going to use God's standard for what is right. And so for... The publican who did not do right, by the way, this is not saying you can go ahead and live however you want to and it's like a get out of uh, jail free card. What we're finding is this, is you come to God and say, God, I messed up, I blew it, I confess to you, God, the capacity to confess and to have a a self-awareness, God says, you have a right standing before me. So we look, what are the habits that cultivate humility? Let's jump into these in our notes as we wrap up this morning and look at this. These seven habits that help us to be in a position of humility greatly take us so much farther in life than being prideful. Now, if you struggle with pride, here are a couple habits you can look to develop in your life. Habit number one is this, stop comparing. We saw in the story this morning that the Pharisee compared himself to who? The publican. You can compare yourself to people around you who are less uh, than you and worse off than you, and you can feel pretty good about yourself. But there's going to be somebody else out there who, as I said before, is going to be far better off than you and me. They're going to look better. They're going to have more money. They're going to be smarter than us. And we have to stop the comparison game. If you have to, I put a note there in your notes. If you have to, one of the greatest places that we can struggle with this is social media. You ever get on social media and you just start scrolling through, they got a new car, they got a new grandbaby, they got a new this, they got new clothes, they got new that, they got, you know, and you're like, I hate my life, basically. Scientists are saying, social scientists are saying now depression and the out, uh, fallout from social media is becoming greater and causing more anxiety, more stress for people today because what we you can find out what somebody's doing at 3 o'clock on a Thursday afternoon. Whereas 100 years ago, you'd have to wait for a letter. This is what I did this year, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Now you can find out what people are doing all the time. And nobody ever puts anything bad on there either. You see people like... Morning selfie pick, and they've got makeup on and pouty lips and all that, and you're like, Yeah, who who wakes up from bed like that, right? And what we find is this the comparison game, we've got to stop comparing. Like the Pharisee, he compared. The publican said, Let's take a look at myself. Number two, evaluate your words. Evaluate your words. What comes out of your mouth? There's this amazing little thing that happens, and it's just for whatever reason, this is the way God's wired us. You can look this up. Uh, Scientists have found that there is this little this little thing in our ear. When we talk, we can't hear ourselves. We can't hear necessarily the tone of ourselves. If a person is tone deaf, or a person struggles—if you've ever had somebody interacting with you and they sound really angry and really upset—and you say, "Man, like, what's the deal? I wasn't angry, but you sound angry. You can't hear yourself." You know, if you talk to your kids, stop that attitude. Stop copping. I don't have an attitude. You can't hear yourself in your tone of voice. And sometimes we say things without even, uh, even realizing what we're saying. If, you, if you've ever heard people say this phrase, and it's in there in your notes Not to brag, but what are they about to do? They're about to brag. Anytime somebody makes a statement and says but, they're about to negate. No offense, but an offense is about to come. Not to brag, but humble brag is about to come, right? And so be very careful for the Pharisee. Look at all the things he said. Proverbs says this in a multitude of words, sin is not lacking. That even a fool knows to keep his words silent. And so so, sometimes we have to find ourselves that we listen more, and we'll get to that in a minute, and we talk less. We find then number three is this, check your motives. Check your motives. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this, that the word of God is powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword and has the ability to divide between joints and marrow and the thoughts and intents or the motivations of our heart before you're about to post something on social media, or before you're about to go ahead and confront somebody or say something to somebody or do something, here are some questions that we have to ask ourselves. Why do I want this? What is my motivation in getting this or taking this or having this? The second question we have to ask ourselves is, why am I doing this? What am I gonna get out of this or what am I going to manipulate or control or move by doing this? Third question is, if something happens to us, why am I upset? Did I get offended? Did somebody do something that, that, that really isn't that big of a deal, but I'm upset because I feel disrespected? Check my motives. Number four is honesty. Choose honesty. Choose honesty. Don't forget where God brought you from. Don't forget where God is taking you. And don't forget why God has you here. When we choose honesty and realize that we are not as, as, as sharp, we're not as beautiful, we're not whatever we think about ourselves, as, the, uh, as reality is. And remember who God is and why he's brought us here and what he has for us. Number five is this. As I mentioned before, talk less and listen more. God gave you two ears and one mouth. Think about our conversations. They really aren't conversing. It's not a two-way conversation. Usually our conversations are this. You talk, and while you're talking, I'm trying to figure out something to say. And then when I'm talking to you and telling you what I think, I'm trying to think about something else to say when you're done. And our conversations, if you think about it, how often our questions asked and really wanting to hear. you ever had somebody say, hey, how's your day? And then you start to tell them about your day and they start messing on their phone or they walk away. you ever had somebody, it's really, it's really frustrating. You're trying to talk to somebody and they're like, okay, and they kind of walk away. You're like, wait a minute, I thought we were having a conversation. Talk less, listen more. Understanding. And number six, that ask questions. It's an incredible thing. If you ask questions, you're going to be like a unicorn socially. That is, it's rare. If you ask questions, it's so rare in our society and in our relationships. You say, well, what do I ask people about? Ask them about their day. Ask them about how they grew up. Ask them why they're doing what they're doing. Ask them about how things are going. Ask them how they're feeling. Ask them questions and show more engagement as opposed to, you ever get a feeling when somebody comes up to you and it's like, they're, ask me about my day. Macy had a doctor's appointment uh, this past week, and so we were, she's three, and so the doctors ask the kids questions, and we've learned by practice that sometimes the kids need some prep on those questions. So it's like, Macy, what's your favorite color? Um, pink. Uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a ballet dancer. We couldn't tell. It sounds like she wants to be a ballet dancer, but we're going with ballet dancer. And so she's, you know, I was asking her all these questions. Well, then she comes up to me. Uh, yesterday, after her, after her you know, appointment was done on Friday, she says to me yesterday, Daddy, ask me questions. Daddy, asked me questions. If you find in our relationships, we, want, we desperately want people to pay attention to us. But as we begin to show people love and show them attention and ask them questions, we can then have a reciprocated relationship, and that's where humility and love is created. Then we find this, number seven, the seventh habit to develop is this take responsibility. This is probably one of the most important. For the publican, he took responsibility and he said, this is who I am, this is what I've done wrong, I'm a sinner. For your boss or for a coworker, what grates on you and what really frustrates you is this, is when people won't take personal responsibility, why? Because I'm never wrong. And it's not my fault, it's their fault, I didn't have enough time. And in society, socially, it's such a a social ill, when we get frustrated with people. And yet we do the very same thing. I, 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 and then we start making excuses. But instead, take responsibility. We look at this last statement then. Be toward others what you wish they would be toward you. What is that? Showing humility. You want others to have a humble spirit to acknowledge their faults, to be open and honest, and to realize what you see. And yet be that for other people give people some hope that there are good people, especially for us as being followers of Jesus Christ, that we should be humble people, not a humble brag, but to say we are the children of God. We understand where we've come from, we know where we're going, and we know why we're here. Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. I hope it was encouraging and inspiring. If you'd like to know more information about Greater Philly Church, you can go online to greaterphilly.church. You can also find information on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook about the church as well. I'd love to be able to connect with you on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt, M-A-T-T, Manny, M-A-N-N-E-Y. I've also got a blog with great content that you can find more information about at mattmanny.com. I hope the message today helped you to understand yourself, your relationships, and Jesus better in light of what he's done for you. Thanks so much for listening.